we get on track in terms of time. Are we doing okay? Okay, great. I will go, I will go quickly. And we want to wrap this time. The idea would be to have this time wrapped about 11.55, right? Yeah, okay. How's everybody doing today? Stephanie, thank you for that really encouraging session, just laying a strong biblical foundation. Really well done. So I, um, I want to just open and sharing some stories. We've done, over, over the years, we've done this seminar a number of times, probably four or five times over the years. And it never ceases to amaze me. And, and the miraculous things that happen in these sessions. Uh, one time in one of the sessions, while I was teaching on the finished work of healing what Jesus accomplished in the atonement, there was a lady there who had a boot on because she'd fractured her leg. And in that session, at the end of the time, I just felt the Holy Spirit invite me to, to encourage people to test parts of their body where they needed healing, any place that they had pain or discomfort. And so she begins to test her foot, her leg, and, um, and the pain was completely gone without anyone laying hands on her, without anybody praying for her. It just happened in the midst of hearing the teaching. Yeah. We also did a ministry time. This was 2010, and it was when we were about to go into the season of renewal. And I would love to do this. Lauren, take note of this. Maybe next time we do this seminar, we did the seminar, and then we, we had a, a healing service like a couple hours later so that people who were in the seminar could come back and actually pray for anybody that was in the community that was sick. So we should probably do this seminar and do a service too, because the best way for you to grow in healing is not just to have a a knowledge basis, but to also have an experience basis. And that's something that you can have either through evangelism, taking the things you're learning in here and taking it out into the community, out out into your family and your friends and your workplace, or within the walls of the church. We pray for healing, thankfully, at our church every single Sunday. And so if you come to service tomorrow morning, typically we'll take a moment and we'll pray for the sick, pray for those dealing with oppression. The positive side of that is there's plenty of opportunity. The downside of that is a lot of times we'll come into that with routine instead of with expectation, right? We know we always pray on Sundays for the sick, so we're going to, but God bless them. And we're not praying with any kind of expectation or faith, right? And faith, uh, Bill Johnson says this, I believe it's really true. He says, faith is spelled R-I-S-K, risk. And whenever you take risk, you step out and risk being looking foolish risk taking a, taking a step of, of faith, just like Peter had to step out of the boat and try and walk on water. He risked falling, falling flat on his face into the waves, right? We, God upholds us when we step out of the boat. And that's critical to the activation of faith is being willing to break a threshold of some comfort. And you know what? That's, what's beautiful is that's different for every person in this room. What looks like a risk for me might look totally different for you. But when you take that risk, to ha- start a conversation with somebody or ask a question or lay hands on someone, God shows up in that. He doesn't show up in methodologies, though there are techniques and methodologies that you can do to engage your faith, engage the faith of others. And we're going to teach that in a little bit when we get into the practicals. There are practical principles that you can do, but principles are different than rules. Can someone tell me different bet- difference between what a principle is and what a rule is? A principle is something that can be applied, but it can also be broken, right? It's always bad to break a rule, isn't it? Principles have a flexibility. And one of the reasons why we know it's principles and not rules is because do you know how many people Jesus healed the same way? Almost none. And we'll get to that in a moment. 
there were principles that were in effect. One of the principles, which Stephanie hit on really well, one of the principles, is it okay if I just go off script for a minute here and just give you guys some principles? One of the principles is faith, right? Faith is always, and you know what? What's fascinating is a lot of people will take that principle, try and make it a rule, but the reality is Jesus applied all kinds of different people's faith in different ways, right? He took the faith of Jairus and he said, basically, don't, don't faint in heart, have faith, your daughter's going to be going to be raised, right? And the little girl couldn't have faith in that situation because she was dead. So, so couldn't be dependent on her faith for the miracle, right? right? And then you have the case in which the paralytic is lowered from the roof and Jesus says, because of your faith, and he makes it plural. It was actually the faith of the friends who carried him there, broke through the roof so that their friend could have the miracle. The faith of the centurion. Jesus marveled not at the faith of his servant who needed the healing, but the faith of the centurion that came on behalf of the man that was sick. So it's not always incumbent upon the person who's receiving the miracle to have faith because they might be dead. They might be beyond the ability to have faith. They might be so stuck in their circumstance or situation they can't have faith. But there might be a mother involved, a praying grandma that might be involved, a neighbor that might be involved. It might be you that's involved. And the application of your faith is what causes the Spirit of God to come and invade that situation because it's faith that manifests and draws the miraculous realm. It also could be the faith of the minister. And words of knowledge, uh, the, the building up and renewing of your mind through Scripture, the understanding, of, all those things build up our faith. And that's a lot of times why, and you position people to have faith through testimonies. A testimony all of a sudden brings something into the realm of the possible that you may not have thought was possible before. I told you the testimony about the woman who the woman who's uh, you know got healed through just hearing the miracle, right? And now all of a sudden, I just introduced a thought that something is possible in this session that you may not thought was possible because you trust me, you believe I'm not lying to you, and you go, well, it's not just something that someone else saw. We saw it happen in the exact same circumstance. You find your all of a sudden your faith is activating; it's beginning to grow. And what's amazing, and this is kind of Healing 201, we sh should we have a Healing 201 seminar? What do you guys think? Yeah. You, can actually create, you can actually create corporate environments of faith, not just individual interactions or exchanges of faith, but corporate environments of faith, and that'll blow the roof off of what's possible when we, when we begin to put a draw on heaven together corporately. You can also have corporate atmospheres of unbelief where even Jesus comes into the corporate atmosphere of unbelief that was in his hometown, and he's only able to do a few miracles and lay hands on a few people and see them get healed. It grieves me, and I don't mean this to diminish what we're doing in the church, because I think that we're in possibly the most exciting time in church history to be alive because of how in the last hundred years God has reactivated the gifts of the Spirit. Go back even 150 years before uh, Azusa Street and before William Seymour, and there weren't people that spoke in tongues. There weren't people that were actively training, equipping, and healing. There wasn't the prophetic ministry widespread among the body. God activated that at Azusa Street. He, he defined it through a, a group of ministers in the healing revivals of the 1940s and 50s, and then he's begun through John Wimber and the third wave of the charismatic movement to distribute those gifts through the body since the 1980s. And it has become commonplace that it's not the man of God that heals, but that's something that the body's activated in. And when you look at church history and even modern church history, you realize we are in the midst of a shift. Yes. And you guys get to be the beneficiaries of that. So I say that to say we live in a really exciting time, but I regress, um, or digress rather. The, uh, 
the healing ministry of Jesus. And John Wimber's biography, it's pretty cool. He, he titled his biography, Everyone Can Play, one of his biographies, because that was the thing he always said, you know. And, um, and so we're believing God for a, a healing revival and that God would give us an atmosphere of faith in this house where miraculous things can happen and not just happen as we lay hands, happen when people step in the building. Happen the teaching of the word of God goes forth, that demons and demonic oppression and healing, and I'll talk a little bit about deliverance because some of what people need for physical healing is also deliverance, and we see that in the ministry of Jesus. So though this isn't a deliverance seminar per se, you have to understand that deliverance is a key ingredient in, in physical healing. And, um, and so we'll talk, I'll talk a little bit about that in the session. I, one other testimony that came to mind, there was a young lady who was in that service that I was talking about where we invited people to come in, and she was someone who had attended and was practicing healing and praying for another person in that healing service that we did post, post the, the seminar. And as she's praying uh, in this small group, we come over and I ask um, if what was being prayed for and what the needs were, and, and she had been praying for this other person and then uh, I had known that she had dealt with a, uh, or I, th I, I think I had known that she had some issue that she was needing prayer for because she maybe had stood earlier. Can't recall the details, it was a number of years ago. But I, I asked her, you know, was there anything that she needed? And she said, well, I hadn't wanted to ask because I just wasn't, I've asked so many times before. And she said, I'm just focused on learning so that I can minister to others, but I didn't want to ask for myself for prayer today. And she goes, I have this issue. And she pulls her sleeve up. And when she pulls her sleeve up, the eczema and the issue that she didn't want prayer for had already gotten healed. It had actually gotten healed as she had been praying for someone else. She goes to show me the thing that she didn't want prayer for, and God had already done it. Because we were in an atmosphere where God's presence and God's anointing, the word of God was going forth. Atmosphere not unlike today. So, you may not have, we may not have prayed for infirmity yet. But you may just want to pay attention to your body. You may want to just pay attention as the word. Of, I feel the anointing of the Holy Spirit with us even right now. And that anointing as it goes forth in the preaching and teaching of the word, the activity of God's angels is here. You may, you may have the Holy Spirit begin to come on that part of, of your body even during this teaching. You may feel a warmth. You may feel a pressure. You may feel a release of pain. Those different manifestations of God's anointing, they just show us that God's at work. And you can just agree with that by just, instead of going, what's going on? This is weird. Just going, thank you, Holy Spirit. Amen. Heal completely. Touch this completely. Take the pain. We're just agreeing with that. You know, and I feel like even some of you in this room, it's like the presence of God's going to settle over you as the word of God goes forth. And he's begun to do a healing work in your body. It may be that you need a healing work in your heart. It may be that God is doing a healing work in your heart that's going to produce a healing work in your body. It may, in fact, be that there's a, a person that God would have you forgive today, and that forgiveness is key to unlocking the physical healing that you need in your body. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for expectation. We thank you for the flow of your spirit. We thank you that you love to have us prophesy in the healing seminar, and you love to heal in the prophecy seminar. God, we don't put you in a box right now. We thank you that your gifts are here to manifest themselves according to the need in this room. We take authority. We thank you, God, for the angels, your angels just stationed around this room, and that anything demonic or harassing, any word curses, anything generational, it comes subject to the kingdom of God. And then the name above every name, we just 
bind those oppressions in Jesus' name and we, and we dismiss them. We say, you are excused. You are no longer wanted and you have to go to leave people's bodies and minds in Jesus' name. Thank you, God, for the kingdom of light that rests over this place. It's this room being saturated with light. So all that being said, I want this to be an interactive class. So if you feel any of what I described, you feel God touching you, you can just interrupt and we would love to be interrupted with a miracle today. I would love for the Holy Ghost to interrupt this healing class with a miracle. So if you feel like something's happening in your body, you just raise your hand and just go, you know, I think something just happened to me. And your miracle might be the key to the breakthrough of someone else's miracle. Your healing might be a breakthrough for someone else's healing. As you can tell, I love this stuff. It's like my favorite thing to teach and talk about. And um, we don't quite get to do enough of it, but I think we're entering back into a season in which God's going to visit us with, with signs, wonders, and miracles in a fresh way. Um, even last night as I was at Recovery Church, I told you guys about this a little bit, that uh, I got a word of knowledge for left back pain. And there are three or four people that raised their hand. They just slid their hands up. I didn't get to verify the testimony, but they slid their hands up. I prayed, didn't lay hands on them. They were kind of in the back of the room, small space similar to this, probably about half the size of this, honestly. And I just said, if you are feeling the pain leaving your body, go from raising your hand for prayer to waving your hands at me. And one guy begins to just wave his hands because the pain was leaving his body instantaneously in that moment. Got a word of knowledge for appendicitis. I said, it's kind of an unusual infection in the appendix. Does anybody have an infection in the appendix? One guy who's five feet directly in front of me had an infection in his appendix. He just comes forward and just prayed for him. I don't know if he was instantly healed in that moment, but I know the word of knowledge was accurate. I actually, while I was just sharing a minute ago, I, I, I felt like a cramp in the inside of my right. Um, I don't know if it's because I started running again this week or if, uh, or if that might have been a word of knowledge, but it kind of went away. So does anybody have an issue with the left leg in the back, the, the, uh, uh, the tendon inside right here, real specific? Does anybody have that issue on this leg, left leg, hamstring? Or it could have been my running issue. Does anybody, <laughs> does anybody have any pain in their back left leg? Do you really? Just put more back of the knee. Okay. Well, let's see if God heals it. <laughs> Are you in any kind of discomfort right now? Okay. Would you, is it so bad that you, would you prefer not to stand up or could you stand up? Could you stand up and just check it even before we pray and just see if there's any change? When I straighten it, it's pain. Okay. Krista, could you lay hands? And sister, could you lay hands? Felicia, could you lay hands on her just real quick? And we're just going to just take just a moment, just pray. Lord, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for Dee Dee. I thank you for her tremendous faith. And we just activate that healing right now in the name of Jesus. That, uh, and I thank you, Lord, that healing is the children's bread, that you love it to give it to us. You love Dee Dee. She's your daughter, Lord. And we just come in that pain in the name of Jesus. Just completely leave her life, Lord. Completely touch and heal her body, Lord, right now. Is anything happening there, Dee Dee, as we're praying? Mm-hmm. What's going on? We're learning real time here together. Well, I just heard in my heart the Holy Spirit saying, start shaking your leg. So I'm purposely shaking it, okay. but that's what he said to do. Okay. <laughs> so that's what I'm doing. How's it feel as you're doing it? It feels pretty good. It feels pretty good? <laughs> He's kind of shaking it. That's what he said to do. All right. All right. We'll come back to you. All right. Just keep 
doing what you feel like you're supposed to do. Was there any change after we prayed just then? Not when I press all the way down. Not when I completely straighten it, but mm-hmm. the shaking feels good. Okay. <laughs> all right. Mm. Amen. So let's jump into the notes. Yes. Praise God. Think about it, so you said healing could have happened right now. So I really believe that because I believe that no allergies, none is going to impact me this year. When I came here, I was just uh, scratching. Now I'm totally gone. Yeah. So yeah, I, I just that's awesome. Yeah, has that happened to some others? Is that? Well, he just made me think. I've been stuck on uh, this stuff in Hebrews. That's three or four somewhere in there. It says that we uh, we failed to enter His rest due to our lack of belief, not because it wasn't already finished, but so when he said, I don't, I, I believe that it's not there anymore, it's like he received that healing, um, you know, build my belief is where I'm at right now, Amen. wanting to build a powerful belief where I can touch people in a compassionate way, a loving way, and, and uh, restore hope to the hopeless. And Amen. It's awesome. Yeah, Eli. Any pain right now? Could you get up and just do something you couldn't do before? Whether it's a jump or flex or do something. So when did that change happen? Just now. Did you feel a heat or a pressure or anything? Or you just it just went from being in pain to being not pain. Was there any manifestation of God's spirit or anything in in particular? I felt it washing down my shoulders because I put a hand up praying for her. So when you were praying for her, you felt like God's presence washed down your shoulders, and now your now your knees healed. Praise God. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. I've had like a big lump on my throat for last year. Mm-hmm. And I did. I felt like the heat when you were talking earlier. Yeah. Well, let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We just say in the name of Jesus, the rest of that lump, whatever that infection or irritation or agitation is in the name of Jesus, we just bless that. And we just take a moment right now. We say, you're putting yourself on display, God. It's not Hazen or Stephanie or anybody else in this room. This is you, Jesus. When you walk into the room, everything changes. Darkness starts to tremble, the sound of your voice. When you walk into the room, healing starts to happen. Every situation changes, the sound of your voice. Or you just say, come in the room, Lord. We agree right now, just... Touch and heal the remainder of what's needed in her body. Touch and heal anything that's needed in any person in this room in the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 
We'll give some more time for testimonies. I think other healings are going to happen. That's really encouraging. Let's hear it for Jesus. Jesus. Let's be intentional right now. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. Um, I just love, I just love cool stuff like that starts to happen. Um, And it's awesome. And, you know, I want to, before you even jump into the teaching, I want to say this because I think it's one of the things that trips us up in receiving is we reject the mystery of why God does things in certain ways. And I would say one of the critical elements to moving in the supernatural is we have to embrace mystery. And we want to understand why. We always want to understand why things happen. Why did Dee Dee not get the instantaneous miracle in the back of her leg yet? We thank you for any improvement. But when Eli prayed for her, it it happened. Why? I don't know. The answer is I don't know. I'm the teacher in the room. I'm I'm up here teaching you on healing. I don't know. And I have to accept that. And if if I won't accept the fact that He's God, and I don't always know. Principle, if I apply, if I have a rule-based mentality instead of a principle-based, I know faith helps. I know that me declaring those testimonies probably raised the faith. I know educating you guys, I know it creates an atmosphere. But what God does inside that atmosphere, I don't get to control that. And you know what? Part of why religion stifles our ability to move in the supernatural is because people with a religious mindset don't want to let go of control. They don't want to, the experts in the room don't want to say, I don't know why it happened the way that it happened. Because that's, it actually requires humility of us. <laughs> but I'm here to tell you, if you don't embrace an element of mystery in your ministry, it's going to be very difficult to move in the supernatural sustained way because you'll get offended that God didn't do things the way you wanted him to do them. And so we just have to accept, though we're doing the best, that, though we, we pray, you know, we, we do, I like to say it this way, I, I do my part, we do our part, God does his part. And you can't confuse his part and your part. I will never be the healer. I don't get to, I mean, he will heal through me, but I am not the healer. Jesus is the healer. That's his part to do. My part to do is to lay hands. My part to do is declare what I hear the Spirit of God saying. My part to do is to study the Word of God and build and strengthen my faith. Those are the things. And even that, God is helping me because I couldn't understand anything from this Bible anyway if the Holy Spirit didn't give me revelation. And so from that place of dependency and embracing mystery, we can move into the supernatural. And when we do that, you'll see far more miracles over far more sustained time span by just simply embracing the fact it's not always going to work how I thought it was. And I don't know why that is. My wife, I, we get to do the healing seminar. We ha- my wife had to have COVID and then she herniated her back. We've been praying for healing, but for weeks she's been dealing with recovery and physical therapy related to back pain. She had a moment. I don't know if she'd want me to share this or not. She, I won't tell the details, of, but she had a moment where God miraculously touched her in a powerful way delivered her of something she was deeply struggling with. It was a power encounter, but her body wasn't healed in that power encounter. So God's presence was there in manifestation. God's presence did something dramatic. And we rejoiced in that. We were grateful for that. But he didn't in that moment instantaneously take away the pain. And that can cause you, that mystery of that can cause you to be offended and stumble and go, well, maybe God's not a healer. But the reality is, no, that's his nature. He just doesn't always, he just doesn't always express his nature in the ways that, in the timing and in the ways that I think he ought to. And you have to accept that. You have to accept that if you want to move in this stuff. That's 
Amen. All right, good. Okay, we'll do the notes now. <laughs> maybe, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Let's see. Do our best here. Okay. Um, could someone actually, I want to not use the table. I mean, I can scrap myself. I'm old school. I need a micro, micro, I need a stand for the notes. Just a little bit of angle. So there's a good introduction. I wrote that a number of years ago. I read it again just today, and I thought, that's a great introduction, but I don't need to read it to you right now. Um, so Matthew 4.23, it says, Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and disease among the people. And his fame throughout went all Syria. They brought to him all the people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, those who were demon-possessed, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them all. Great multitudes followed him from Galilee, Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. So in this scripture, we see the preaching of the gospel of the kingdom accompanied by the healing of all manner of sickness and disease. It is significant to note they were brought all who were sick from the surrounding region. We can only estimate how many this would have meant, possibly healing people by the tens of thousands. It says he healed all who came to him. And the people were coming in large crowds. Jesus was manifesting power on a scale that an entire region was being liberated of sickness and disease. I, I just love the Bible. You just read this stuff and you just go, I just love Jesus. And what's awesome is, you know, he says in John 14, these same works that I do, you will do, and greater works than these. And there have been seasons of visitation in church history, the healing revivals of the, of the 1940s, um, the, the season of renewal that we had here even in our community, where we saw over 500 uh, testimonies of healing and deliverance, miraculous and amazing things, where it's increased seasons of visitation in which, you know, and we had a healing service, I remember, in Haiti, and it was like that healing, the atmosphere of God's presence was on a missions trip in uh, 2009. And in that time, it was... Uh, in that time in that healing service in Haiti, it was like the atmosphere of God's presence was so thick. People were walking into the room and they were getting delivered of asthma. They were getting delivered of demons. They were getting delivered just in the atmosphere of worship. Just to give another testimony concerning mystery, we did a healing service in Africa. I'm standing by the speaker there in Uganda. We're there with a team of missionaries from the House of Prayer here. And I discern the manifest presence of an angel. And I'm like, praise God, there's an angel here. We are about to do a healing service. People are going to be healed. We prayed for healing. We asked for testimonies of healing. Nobody gets healed. But we invite anybody to come up to receive prayer. And we start to pray for people. And they, like five people start violently manifesting demons. No one got healed in the healing service, but a bunch of people got delivered of demons. Then we go to a, a, a women's uh, a, a meeting with women who were a part of a, a community outreach and support for women that had lost their husbands. It was a, a gathering of widows, and there were probably 50 widows, and we're supposed to share a, a testimony because there was a woman on our team who'd also um, dealt with some tragedy and some loss in her life, and she was going to tell the testimony and, and minister comfort to these women. But when we're there, while we're doing that and we're praying, someone gets healed, and then we start to pray for another person to get healed. And we just start to say, anybody that's healed. And 90% of the people that were there that had healing issues get miraculously healed. There's a woman who had trouble walking to the service and she's jumping up and down on her legs because she got healed. 
And I'm like, I don't know why God didn't heal at the healing service we scheduled, and he decided to do deliverance again, and then the service we did for the widows, he decides to heal everybody. Probably just so I would have a good sermon illustration, right, on how God is mysterious. So think about the scale of Jesus' healing ministry, its consistency, everywhere he preached, he healed. So don't make the mistake of thinking it was isolated to a few specific people. But I think in the testimonies that we see, John says that if we were to write all the things that Jesus did down, all the different books in all the world wouldn't contain them. And something that's instructive, that's probably hyperbole, but the point is that that Jesus did a lot of stuff that, that the gospel writers didn't single out and tell us the story of. So if we assume they were really writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, there's actually specific principles in the ones, principles about healing and also illustration about the nature of God contained within the stories they did choose to tell us. Here's just a few verses that highlight Jesus' willingness to heal all who came. Matthew 4, 24 says, those who are demon-possessed, epileptics, paralytics, he healed them all. Matthew 8, 16, when evening came, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed. He cast out the spirit with the word. He healed all who were sick. Matthew 12, 15, when, when Jesus knew it, he withdrew from there. Great multitudes followed him. He healed them all. Matthew 14, 14, when Jesus went out, he saw great multitudes. He was moved with compassion. And he healed their sick. And these are just from the book of Matthew. Matthew 15, 30, great multitudes came to him, having with them the lame, blind, mute, maimed, and many others, and they laid them down at Jesus' feet. They laid them down at Jesus' feet. So imagine these are people that are so infirmed and sick that they can't, they can't get up. I wish they'd given us the details of this. It says he healed them all. I imagine, though, if it says that they laid them down at his feet, there's probably a row, and it seems like that's probably hundreds of sick people, at least dozens of sick people, Right? I mean, how many categories of, of sick people do you have of that? Great multitudes having with them lame, blind, mute, maimed, and many others laid them down at his feet. So you go, okay, you've got a section over here. They're the lame. They can't walk. The blind, they can't see. The mute, they can't, they can't speak, right? Did I hit all the categories? The maimed. And you got those that I guess had a bad encounter with a lion. <laughs> I don't know how you, you know, they fell off a roof, like maimed is like the category of like, they, some, they, something's broken, hanging off of them, legs torn up, they're, you know, it's, they're a mess, right? And the maimed. Okay, can you imagine, I just, oh, I just love to just put myself in the story. You're, the, you're in the blind category, and the deaf category is right in front of you. I don't know if they put them in groups, but... Let's just say for the sake of illustration, they did. You know, and maybe they did because you think the blind probably lived in a community with other blind people, or the deaf probably lived in a community perhaps with other deaf. And so the, you know, the two blind guys come together, and you're about to get prayed for, and you hear your friend next to you go, I can see. You know, or the whole group of mute people all of a sudden begin to cheer. <laughs> And you're in the lame category. You're getting pretty excited, right? I mean, just the joy in these gatherings must, must have been, the joy must have been off the charts. And so there's people standing and leaping they've never walked before. People open their eyes, seeing the faces of their loved ones they've never seen before. Like, the, you know, they're hearing the birds and hearing people's voices they've never heard before. They lost the ability to hear. The maimed, something's broken, 
and the bone comes, snaps back into place, right? The ear comes back onto the, the, they grow, an ear grows out, which we know in other places, Jesus did that kind of stuff. You know, the leprous guy whose hand is eaten up with leprosy, it's like the hand comes back, it grows back. He healed them. They laid at his feet and he healed them. Great multitudes follow him. He healed them there. In Matthew 21, 14, the blind, the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. Just before this final record of Jesus's healing publicly, he's consumed with righteous zeal for the temple. I won't read this for the sake of time. I'll just tell you the story. Basically, Jesus is in Jerusalem for the final time. He goes in, he cleanses the temple, he turns over the money changers' tables, and he says, my house will be called a house of prayer. And see, what they had done is that the people that were interested in setting the rules for how worship happened had taken the court of the Gentiles, which was actually the place that was supposed to be reserved for the worship of the nations. So it was a racist mindset that excluded the Gentiles. So these guys were racist. They were loving money, right? And in the place where there should have been prayer happening on the outer court of the temple, they're actually charging exorbitant prices. It was the, it was the, you know, the, uh, baseball stadium version of, you know, you go to the baseball stadium, you have to pay the $10 fee for the hot dog that, you know, only costs a dollar. Right? God, I hate that. Don't everybody just hate that when you know you're getting ripped off? Well, they're just like, okay, you have to buy these doves, right? You have to buy these, these animals for the sacrifice. They're the only ones you can buy. And guess what? We're going to charge you double for it. And in doing that, they were actually inhibiting the people of God from offering God sacrifices because now instead of offering God my best, I have to offer God less because you're charging a, a trying to make a profit margin off of it. And Jesus was not happy about that. They were doing the opposite of the purpose for which God had put them there for, out of greed and out of racism, and they were restricting the worship of God's people, and he just he flips the tables over, right? Like, he was mad. <laughs> he was not happy. Not happy at all. My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. But yet in the midst of his zeal for restored worship and restored prayer back at the center of the experience of God's people, he's like, I want, I want the exchange of my people with God and worship. And I want God to come down. And he goes right there in that place where he flipped the tables. He looks around and he goes, anybody that's sick. And I just imagine out of the mess of all the greed and the business stuff, you know, the guy who's over in the corner who's blind, he just kind of wanders to the middle, the person over there is deaf. They're like, Jesus is in the temple, God in the flesh in the temple, having just cleansed the temple, restoring prayer and worship at the center. And in that place, he goes, blind eyes open, blind, lame, people that couldn't walk, walk. And this is where we have to get the hardness of the hearts of the Pharisees, right? It was when he did this that they go, we've got to kill him. Like he cleanses the temple, restores it, and they're un, unable to receive the rebuke of God. And it wasn't like it was without demonstration. This man does. And the guy who in John gets, I believe it's in John, gets healed. He goes, how can this man be a sinner? He does the works of God. Like no one does. Why would God anoint this man to do these things if he was wrong? 
And so they're looking at that and they're going, well, if he's not wrong, that means we're wrong. And they just couldn't accept that. Matthew eleven fifteen. So they came to Jerusalem. They went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in the temple, overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry wares through the temple. So I'm awestruck at the process of Jesus. He cleanses the temple. It wasn't a quick event, but a sustained removal and occupation of the outer courts. And I just, this struck me. He didn't only, he didn't only drive out the money changers. He kept them from passing through as he was in there <laughs> healing. And he taught the people. He's just so zealous, passionate. And, uh, and it was contained in this man but who is altogether humble, meek, lowly, gentle, and compassionate towards the weak. Don't you love Jesus? Amen. I love Jesus. He's the bridegroom judge of the ages. We see the justice and the judgment of God. He's unwilling to allow racism. He's unwilling to allow greed. He's unwilling to allow unrighteousness, and yet fully tender, compassionate, and kind. He's a loving warrior who will fight for his bride on every level to deliver her from evil and draw her into his arms. And that's how we have to understand Jesus in his healing ministry and in his, in his power. It's all an extension of the greatness of his love. And as we grow in our capacity to have compassion and love that, that grows from the heart of God, we will manifest those same works and will destroy the works of the devil. Acts 10.38, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. This is... This is Peter's preaching on the life of Jesus. So the chief apostle's commentary on the life and ministry of Jesus. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. He went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And it's so interesting because John G. Lake, you know, if you read the story of John G. Lake, someone was mentioning his ministry, one of the most prolific healers at the turn of the century, had an amazing church planning ministry to Africa and had unprecedented signs, wonders, and miracles in his, in his ministry. But he went through incredible suffering, and the death of many of his siblings um, was one of the things that compelled him to seek healing, and he was praying to try and come to grips with whether it was God's will to heal, and I believe in frustration or in his pursuit. I don't know if it was in frustration, but he, he opens up his Bible. He either throws it open or throws it on the table, something like that, and the Bible falls open to this verse, and he reads this verse, and he goes, if sickness is of the devil, then the, if sickness is, is of the devil, then that means it must be God's will to heal. Healing all those who are oppressed of the devil. Now, like Stephanie said, not all not all sickness is a direct manifestation of a specific demon that must be delivered for you to be healed, but all sickness is a symptom of the demonically inspired fall of humanity that corrupted creation, that caused the inclusion of sickness. If we were to go to the to heavenly paradise, there would be no sickness or disease there. And ultimately, in eternity, there will be no more sickness, no more crying, no more death, for these things will have passed away. Behold, I make all things new. So we... We, we are to manifest the powers of the age to come based on the understanding that there is a kingdom that is coming. There's a banquet that is coming in which all the captives go free, all the blind are healed, all the deaf. And guess what? God is in the business of giving tastes of the power of that age. He's releasing kingdom samples now. Look, the kingdom of God, I had somebody say that's the work of the evangelist, right? Is to give a sample now and say, look, the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is good and you can have the whole, 
you can have the whole thing. And you can have increasing measure in this life according to your faith, and you have the full measure of it in eternity. I love the use of the title Jesus of Nazareth because it alludes to both his humanity, the fact that these things were done by someone. It, it, Jesus, and this is another Bill Johnson quote, he, he hits this point, I think it's so powerful. Jesus was not here to show us what God could do in manifestation. Jesus came to show us what humanity can do in agreement with God. Amen. He's Jesus of Nazareth, right? He came actually to be an example. A good picture of this is the pool of Bethesda. There's a lot of sick people there, but Jesus is only doing what he sees the Father do. In that particular instance, he goes to one particular man that had been sick, I believe 30 years. He says, do you want to be healed? I do, I have no man to lower me into the the water. And so Jesus says to him, arise, take up your, take your mat and be healed. If Jesus was there to show us what God could do, he could have just said, boom, and every single person (laughs) there could have been healed. And there were moments, obviously, where everyone from the surrounding region was healed, right? But when he's in Jerusalem on that particular day, at that particular moment, he's showing us in agreement with God, he's operating the assignment, the plan of the Father, and he heals that man who's lame in that particular instance. Why didn't he heal everyone in that moment? It's mystery. We can, we can consider what Jesus said in the context, but it's a mystery. Why did he you know, we know that there's the principle of faith that's in, employ- in employment. We know that there was a, a plan in which Jesus was operating. We know that sometimes it's dependent on people, and that's why Jesus had to bring people a lot of times into agreement with him. That's why he oftentimes asked questions and had conversations in the process of healing. And sometimes, again, sometimes he actually had people do things to activate their faith. He had the lepers actually go to, he said, go to this particular place to be cleansed. And as they went on their way, they were healed. Some people, he rubbed mud in their eyes. Some people, he, even Jesus himself, had to pray for somebody twice because the first time he prayed for them, there was only a partial healing. So these are all different principles that we can look at. I read through my whole gospel accounts and the book of Acts. I just marked every healing with an H. And I just, it's just fascinating to study it and then see the principles and see how your faith builds and how God can operate in healing through you. How am I doing I don't know if I'm doing good or doing terrible, but we have 15 minutes, so you can tell me on the feedback form whether this was good or terrible. Maybe it was great and terrible, like the day of the Lord. Okay, 1 John. So Jesus of Nazareth goes about doing good, healing all those oppressed of the devil. That same anointing is, is yours today. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has been sitting from the beginning. This is the purpose the Son of God was manifest, that he might destroy the works of the devil. John 10.10, 10, the thief does not come except to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come they may have life and have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd who gives his life for the flock. And health is one dimension of the abundant life purchased for us through Jesus. In John 14.12, most assured they say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do he will also do, and greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. See, Jesus basically said, when I ascend, I'm not taking the miracle ministry with me. I'm distributing that miracle ministry through the, through the gifts of the Spirit and through the grace offices, as it says in Ephesians 4. When he ascended, he gave gifts to men, right? And the ministry of Jesus has not in its entirety been given to one person. It's been distributed among his body. And when we function together as his body, we actually can carry the same anointing to heal, to prophesy, to deliver that Jesus carried. And so we together do the greater works. 
Mark 3.27, this one concerning deliverance. I love this passage because it just gives us a picture just like the one of Jesus cleansing the temple of the strength and power of this man. Mark 3.27, Jesus says a parable concerning deliverance. He says, no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man and then he will plunder his house. And he goes on to say, if a demon is cast out from among you, the finger of God has come upon you, right? So if there's a strong man who's occupying this house, who is that strong man who in Jesus' time was occupying that house? The, the prince of the power of the air, right? The, the prince of pride over the, the uh, powers of, of the second heaven's realm. And Jesus shows up and he goes, okay, there's a strong man who's over his house. I'm a stronger man and I'm here to steal your stuff. <laughs> That's who, if the strong man who's in charge of the house that's about to get robbed is the devil in this case. The stronger man is Jesus about to come and plunder people back into the kingdom of God, plunder them from the devil's schemes, plunder them from his plans, plunder them from the counterfeit callings and destinies. And part of that is this stronger man who is now present is able to manifest with his finger, with the finger of God manifest uh, the kingdom. Uh, one of my favorite stories is in the book of Acts when Paul's in Ephesus and the sons of Sceva go to do the do their uh, deliverance using their Jewish rituals. Uh, the demons say, you know, Paul I know, and um, Jesus I know, but you I don't know. And he drives them out, and there's such fear that comes on all the people because they go, you know, the power of God is with this ministry of this man. Paul is preaching the gospel. And right there in the midst of this revival that begins to break out, it says handkerchiefs and aprons taken from Paul's body drive demons out of people. And so we know from other places that in Ephesus, Paul labored with his own hands in order to serve the church. So he didn't take up any offerings and he labored from house to house, sharing the gospel, healing the sick, doing deliverance. So we know his craft was tent making. So it's likely that he's working during the day as a tent maker. He goes to the meeting, he's got his apron on, he takes off his apron, he throws it to the guy in the first row. Hey, hold this for me while I preach, right? And, uh, and the guy's sitting there and he goes, when he threw it, he's probably praying in tongues. He said to the Corinthians, I pray in tongues more than you all. He's working on the tents. Right? And he takes his apron off. He throw, and that's the power of a life of communion. That's the greater works. That, we don't ever see any recorded that Jesus, that a robe taken from Jesus healed somebody. Jesus says, same works that I do and greater works. But the anointing was so manifest on Peter and on Paul that Peter's shadow being within the very atmosphere of his presence because he was overshadowed by God, his shadow heals the sick. Because Paul is so saturated with the presence of God that it gets on his garments and his clothing. And when that touches a person with infirmity, just like the bones of Elijah were so saturated with the presence of God, that when a dead man's body gets thrown in there in a hurry, that dead man comes back to life, right? We see that there can be a saturating of the anointing, concentration of the anointing in physical places and physical things. And that concentration of the anointing on things that touch Paul's body, it, the guy in the front row who gets the apron thrown on him or borrows Paul's handkerchief to wipe their brow, they wipe their head and the headache goes away. The apron touches them and all of a sudden their epilepsy is gone. It says unusual miracles were done by the hand of Paul. That's, and what I want to illustrate about that is the seven sons of Sceva couldn't drive the demon out, but Paul's hanky, Paul's hanky, he didn't even have to go drive the demon. Paul's hanky is displacing demons. That's the power of the kingdom of God when it comes. Is Paul's hanky can do more than the mystics and the spiritualists. And that's what this world wants. They want real power, real demonstration of the Holy Spirit. 
the real deal and God has given it to us. And guess what? It's not, it's at hand. We saw a touch of God, a little mini miracle. Really no miracle is mini. We're grateful, God, that as our brother reached out his hand to pray for someone else, presence of God comes on him and his injury gets healed. Luke 4, 17, the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He's handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. When he opened the book, he found the place where it was written. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And this idea of the acceptable year is actually a, a specific idea of the year of Jubilee that took place seasonally within, see, because there were to be no people that were uh, indentured servants or enslaved within Israel from among their own people beyond one generation. So for some reason you were sold into some kind of captivity. There was a point in time in which everybody gets set loose because that, that servitude should not pass from generation to generation. That was in the Old Testament law, right? And so what Jesus is saying is now instituting not only a once in a generation day of the Lord's favor, he goes the fullness of the day of God's favor. When all debts get canceled, when all people go free, when the spirit of grace is upon us in order that the blind and the lame and the captive would be completely delivered. But he goes, that is now here because I am here. And as far as I can tell, once he shows up and says, that day is now here and I am here, he never, he never withdrew it. We are still living in the day of the Lord's favor. Amen. We are still living in the day of the Lord's deliverance where all the captives go free. Yes, in greater manifestation in that moment when Jesus was there, but he actually says to his disciples later, it's better for you that, that I go, that I would send the Holy Spirit. And that that gift wouldn't be isolated in one man, confined to one geographic region, but that it would stretch to the uttermost parts of the earth by his spirit. If there's but a church to take up the charge and take the message and the signs that point to the message. And I want to be super clear on that. What, what's, if we had a sign that told you to come in here, what's the point of a sign, right? It's to direct you towards something. Signs and wonders are to direct us to who God is and to the message. And a lot of times we want to do the signs and wonders disconnected from the message. Well, then what is the sign to point to? But when we have the message and the demonstration in conjunction together, the power of the Holy Spirit works to manifest the kingdom of God. Because this kingdom is not in word. It's not in persuasive words of human wisdom. Paul says to the Corinthians, I'm glad that my, my witness came to you in power because if I convince you of something, if I give you persuasive words, if I convince you, somebody more persuasive might come along and convince you out of it. But my confidence is that, that what you've experienced is secure because it wasn't in persuasive words, it was demonstration of the Holy Spirit in power. As we see in these passages, we can't separate our commission of preaching the gospel and the ministry of healing and deliverance. Everywhere Jesus went to preach the gospel, he healed, and everywhere he healed, he preached the gospel. 
Matthew 11, John the Baptist, he's kind of in doubt as to whether Jesus is the Messiah because things aren't working out the way he thought. He had been a good and faithful man, and he ends up getting thrown in prison for his faithfulness, and he's questioning in that moment. Some say he was questioning. Others say maybe it was just his disciples that were questioning, but he sends his disciples, John sends his disciples to Jesus, right? And Jesus responds to him and said, the blind see, lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Are you the Messiah? Well, look at the signs. Jesus responded by pointing to his works as evidence of who he was. 1 Corinthians 4.19, the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. The people were gathered to Jesus. They were drawn not only to hear his words of wisdom, and they did say there's no one that's spoken like this, right? But also because they had physical needs that he was willing and able to meet. As the report went around concerning him, great multitudes came together to hear, and he healed them of their infirmities. And I'll just close with this last section, four minutes. Jesus, the hungry healer. When the sun was setting, all those who had any sickness or various diseases were brought to him. He laid his hands on every one of them, and he healed them. For he healed many, so that as many who had afflictions, they pressed about him to touch him. Multitude came together again. They could not so much as eat bread. But when his own people heard about this, they went to lay hold of him, and they said, he's out of his mind. And the scribes came down from Jerusalem and said, he has a demon. He has the prince of demons. He's possessed. By the ruler of demons, he casts out demons. In the passage, we see the commitment of Jesus to the ministry of healing. He was so dedicated to meeting the needs of the afflicted that he labored without breaks night and day. He was so zealous, his own family sought to intervene, said, you're doing too much. And people accused him of being possessed because of the intensity and the passion of his ministry to the sick and the oppressed. It happened that when he's in a certain city, a man full of leprosy saw Jesus, fell on his face, implored him, saying, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Stephanie mentioned this earlier. He put out his hand, he touched him. Lepers were supposed to be not only physically unclean, but spiritually unclean. In touching him, he's removing the shame and the stigma of the man's infirmity. He touches him. He could have commanded and said, be healed. But instead, he imparted the healing touch said, not only am I willing, but be made clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. He's, Jesus is the one who's willing to touch the untouchables. Luke 5, 22, Jesus perceives their thoughts. He says, why are you reasoning in your heart? Which is easier to say, this is concerning the paralytic who is lowered through your roof. Because the first thing he says to him is, son, your sins are forgiven. He addresses this man's spiritual need. And they say, who's this man to say your sins are forgiven? He says, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or rise up and walk? Does anybody know? It's kind of a riddle. It's a little bit of a puzzle. Which is actually easier to say? <laughs> Neither of them are easy to say. No, no, nobody has authority to do either of those things except a man sent from God, right? Like, yeah, it is easier to say your sins be forgiven because you can see no natural evidence of it. But he goes, so that you would know the Son of Man has power to forgive sins. See, to actually remove sin and to do a healing miracle, actually both of those are impossible for any human being. But it is easier to say your sins be forgiven because we don't see whether that actually happens or not. But he goes, so that you might know when I say your sins are forgiven, your sins are actually forgiven, I'm also going to say rise up and walk and, oh, he got up! <laughs> 
He got up. So what's that mean? If he got up, the same power that got that man up off that bed has now just forgiven this man's sin and restored his relationship with God. And immediately he rose up before them and took up what he'd been laying on and departed to his own house, glorifying God. Glorifying God. See, God gets glory. God gets glory. That man's relationship, whatever sin was in his life that was obstructing his flow of worship with God, got removed when Jesus said, Son, your sins are forgiven because of the greatness of your faith, the faith of his brothers that carried him there. And he said, rise up and walk. The man gets up. Can you imagine just the joy of like carrying home his bed that he got carried there on? He's able to deal with your sin. He's able to deal with your sickness because it's all the same root, and he dealt with that root on the cross and in the resurrection. When the marvel, he arose and departed from his house. This is Matthew 9, 7. Now when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God who had given such power to men. See, it wasn't, and that's the same story from a different perspective. So the man goes home glorifying God, the people glorify God, and they go, something that humanity is meant to have has now been restored. The time of God's favor has come. The captives are being set free. Amen, let's close there. Father, I thank you for Jesus, the hungry healer. I thank you for this man and his power, the power of the Holy Spirit, that you've given such power to men. They said the same works that you did, we would do in greater works. Thank you for doing healing right here in this room earlier. And I just pray right now uh, an impartation. If you just want to put your hands out before the Lord, I'm just going to pray and just ask God to release the gift of healing, to activate a gift of healing. Father, I pray right now, Lord, that that gift of healing would begin to operate in people's lives in this room. You release impartation of power, whatever measure to which they have been operating in faith and in power and in revelation concerning physical healing of bodies. I ask you to double, quadruple, and triple it just because we're asking today, just because I'm asking as a son right now on behalf of my brothers and sisters. Lord, release your power right now. Touch, heal, deliver through these men and women. Do it in their families. Do it in their places of work. Do it in their neighborhoods. I pray for divine opportunities this week that someone would limp across their path, that a neighbor would ask for prayer, that someone that they know would go to the hospital instead of saying, oh, I'll be praying for you, they would go to the hospital or they would pick up the phone, they'd call and they'd pray a faith-filled prayer for their healing or deliverance, release boldness in this room because we see the boldness of Jesus from Scripture. Lord, we want to emulate you. And I just ask right now, Lord, as we transition to a time of practicals, continue to have our hearts and our minds open to what you might want to do in this room. We're here for you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.